Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Hi, this is Ryan Fraser This is Troy Daly This is Gus Boyet This is Don Hutchison This is Jürgen Klopp and you're listening to the big interview with Graham Hunter Thank you, Jürgen I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona and our socios, our beloved members keep us on the road This independent podcast would not happen without them Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Graham Hunter and we'll bring you joy. Welcome to the big interview. I'm Graham Hunter. Firstly, I hope you're all doing as well as can be possibly imagined in these really strange and testing circumstances. This is our first ever remotely recorded episode. No face-to-face during detention. It's Jimmy Bullard, part one, coming up now. We asked Mr. Bullard to exit his garden where he was doing some beautiful work and very detailed work too, for a specific reason. I've always loved the way that Jimmy loved football. He oozes an infectious adoration of this beautiful game, and he played it really well. We first met eight years ago after a Clasico and burst into a kind of um, impromptu a cappello karaoke across a hotel bar. That was fun, certainly for us. I'm not saying anything about the audience. Jimmy's skill on the ball at Soccer AM honestly is is priceless to watch. He looks almost more in command of the tricks that he can produce now than he was as a professional footballer for, I don't know, West Ham, Peterborough, Wigan, Hull, Fulham, Ipswich. This was a guy who, in my opinion, was destined for higher things. I think Jimmy really was a good footballer, but by the end he said he felt like his physique was made of glass. Things didn't happen quite as much for this really talented entertainer as they should have done. In this part of our chat, you'll hear about how during his Premier League career, he was watching Spanish football and taking ideas and role models from La Liga into his game, to his benefit. And Jimmy is one of those big interview guests who experienced real life, as we call it, before making the breakthrough into pro football. 
it's a vital part of who he was as a player and who he is as a man. Like Chris Wardle, so early in the series of these big interview podcasts, he worked hard for the money, as the song goes, before football liberated him. Finally, because we recorded this remotely, the first time in 97 interviews I haven't been in the same room as our guest, the sound quality occasionally is not quite what you're used to. We'll be doing more of these kinds of interviews to keep you entertained and interested during the lockdown, and we're working out how to get the very best sound quality that's possible. But in the meantime, please hang in there and forgive us just the occasional sound glitch. It's worth it, I promise. There's far, far more to Jimmy Bullard than the clever, witty, cheeky persona that works so well for him on television. This is a man who understands football, adores football at least as much as I do, and knows how to communicate that. You're going to enjoy Jimmy Bullard, part one, on The Big Interview. To all the loyal fans of The Big Interview, who've cumulatively uh, given us 14.5 million listens since we started, this is the big one. Uh, this is the one that we've been wrangling with lawyers to bring to you. Um, it is, as you can all see, if this is only audio, let me describe the fact that Jimmy, or <laughs> Don Jimmy Bullard, is sitting in, <laughs> the, in the Marlon Brando set from The Godfather, looking as if I'd gone to him on the day of his daughter's wedding to ask a, a favour, but not called him uh, Godfather. Uh, Jimmy Bullard, um, I bet you right now, there's two things in your mind, like, what the fuck am I doing here and why am I in the garden? Have, have, I, have I correctly summarised what's going on in your head right now? Um, yeah, as I said to you, Greg, I've just got into my landscaping massively. So, you know, I've been gardening during this lockdown. It's been hard for all of us. But, yeah, I've had to find a goal, basically. I've had to find a goal. I've had to find something that really grabs hold of me. Otherwise, I think boredom would have kicked in and landscaping's really helped me out. So. But throughout, throughout your, your magical life, You've known um, that you need to find something that occupies your mind, but also that sets alight your competitive spirit, whether it's competing in a sport or competing with yourself. I, yeah. I think you're, you're a guy who, like you've often, you've famously said a lot that you, you, you don't like to be alone too much, but I've always really liked, there's so many things I'm going to tell you, and I'm not fucking about in this podcast, because when I tell you something, <laughs> It isn't me arsing around or looking for a response or making a laugh. It's the truth. There's so many things that I adore you for. But one of the things I've really picked up on is across your life, you've developed a huge amount of self-knowledge. And you just said there that in lockdown, in detention, as you and I both probably suffered at school, yeah. you've had to find something to do. So you've turned to nature and your garden. That's one of the things that can occupy your, your, your talents in your brain. When you said it like that, I think... I just naturally done that. Do you get what I mean? I didn't, I didn't personally think when I was a kid I had to keep busy. I just think naturally my brain, you know, golf. Golf, two hobbies I've had before this lockdown was golf and fishing that have kept me so on the straight and narrow. It's been so good for my um, health, mentally, physically, during my football career. But even afterwards when I finished, you know, I turned to them and I've just realised how much during this lockdown I turned to my hobbies and I relied on them, to be honest, honest with you, Greg. I, 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 
without golf and fishing in my life, I, I know it's going on a bit of a weird um, tangent here, but honestly, that has saved me so much. Um, I just think it keeps my mind occupied in a space what really drives me because I've got fi- I've got fishing magazines around the side of my bed. I'm not joking. They're as high as my mattress, and I turn to them. It's all about the golf swing. It's all about golf. It's all about equipment. And the other side is fishing. I've learned so much. I've not had one lesson on golf. I've never had, I've had pointers, but I've never, I think I can count on one hand how many lessons I've paid for. So I've had a lesson, but I'll be honest with you, from the lessons, I've took more out of myself from self-learning the game than anyone that's given me. Because I honestly believe with golf, and that's almost with football as well, I can go into football there. I was so self-taught. Almost every team I went with, right? Managers would say, just play, Jim. Just play how you want to play. I was a bit of a free spirit, if you want. And a lot of married managers used to say that to me. And the same with fishing. I've learned my own way. And I think I think you learn quicker. If you learn your own way, I think yeah. you learn quicker, you know. There's, there's obviously boundaries with everything. But I think once you learn your own way, you learn quicker. And that's what I found. But does it identify something about your mind? that you, You've got a mind that can, can not only soak up a lot of detail, but it's hungry for more detail. And I don't yeah. think it's only about self-betterment. You've got a massive amount of curiosity about, right, well, if that, then this. And we're going to talk about yeah. getting down, not now, we're going to get talk about YouTube and, and rabbit holes there. Yeah. You've yeah. got a mind that says to you, Jimmy, give me more, give me more. I'm not at capacity yet. You said one word there, Gray, that's me, and that's detail. That all through my life, I look at a, um, like, I'm massive on um, interior design and landscape, as I just talked about. Detail in that from lighting, from the way you've sculpted, from the way your garden changes during the whole day, depending on where the sun is, is ridiculous. Detail in a golf swing, detail in fishing, detail in angling. I've got floats here, and I wish this is a visual, right? The detail in these floats to use to anglers, not non-anglers out there, some of you, this might not be a visual, but there's so much detail involved in this. I look really deep in detail in everything I love, like the way I control the ball. We were speaking about it the other day, like people controlling the ball, and we'll get onto it later about the top players, the way they played this. But I remember managers saying to me in the UK, control the inside of your left, pass with the inside of your right. I was... No, I was like, I want to learn how to control the ball with the outside. I want to learn how to control the ball with my studs. I want to learn how to control the ball with one stud because in, a, in an instance I might need that, that tiny detail will get me out of trouble. And golf and fishing, Gray, that's why I think I've been grabbed by them two, is the detail in them two sports is ridiculous. Let's talk about Tiger Woods, one of the best in the world. I'm going to bring a lot of names up in this chat, right? Because I've always looked at the very best, whatever sport I've got into, I've looked at the very best because the very best are detailed in what they do. And the way Tiger Woods talks about chipping, if you was to talk, if you was to get the best out of every sport, and the way if you broke them down, I promise you, and I think we all know, they're so detailed in every little aspect. That's what's got on there because of the detail. It's fact, and he's talking, I see this thing online about Tiger Woods talking about chipping. He hasn't got one shot. He sees a shot and he's got 100 ways to play it. He has to pick one of them 100 ways to play that exact shot, you know. So the detail in it is phenomenal. And that's what grabs me, the detail in everything. And that's what accounts for, like, if we just, you, you dropped in Tiger there. Now, 
I interviewed him a couple of times, but only post run, never one on one. And I'm listen. I'm putting myself down here because it's the truth. I'm a chippy, uh, aggressive Scot, and I didn't like his manner, and I didn't like how he shat on the media in his pomp. He was like, "Yeah, you're all just scum." So it took me, which is stupid, particularly talking to a man like you, too long to like him. I could appreciate him, but to like yeah. him, that was that was a hard thing. And you and I were talking the other day about maybe the moment that. That, that brought me around is is at sixteenth Augusta, yeah. which is a little chip. Which is for yeah. anybody who hasn't seen it, maybe yeah. you best describe it. But you and I both came to the same uh, conclusion that long, long before any of us knew it was going on, he he knew that you remember that chip, and we we spoke about it the other day, no? Amazing, amazing, yeah. But before he's walking up to that green, let's dissect that there. That 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 moment now, which is huge in golf history, but that. That moment there with Tiger Woods, he would have seen that shot as he's walking up to that green. As he's walking up that green, he's thinking about that shot. As he's stepping over his ball, he's got 100 shots in his head. Have I played this? Do I play a bit cut? Do I play a check? Do I overspin it? Do I play a D lofty? Do I play a seven iron? Do I play a... So it's all going through his head and the feeling. And all of a sudden he has to dissect it, picks a shot and then he executes it. The execution is the last bit. They're now in the coffin, the icing on the cake. But the, the moments before that is his grab. That's his like. That's his buzz. Do you get what I mean? Like the moments before that ball comes to me, how am I going to mug this midfielder? Not only am I thinking that, in I'm thinking, how can I entertain? Great. I I, I not only wanted to control with a side foot. I wanted to mug him that bad where I get the crowd crowd up on their feet and giving me a stand up. That was my attention to detail. That was my. I was a bit of an attention seeker as well. I was a big attention seeker. I didn't want to just control the ball with my side foot. Pass it and get it down. So I wanted to mug him. I wanted to do something special on the other occasion. You know, I wanted to like entertain. So that whole thing, the whole process of choosing what I'm going to do in that moment is my buzz. But in, in order to do that at the height of your professional career, how, how far ahead in milliseconds or seconds could you see the picture? Yeah. You know, oh, when right. you're weighing up the hundred things, just like yeah. Tiger's hundred chips, yeah. when you're weighing up the hundred things you can do. How far ahead are you seeing it? That 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 there, right? It, it's mad, right? You're asking me all the crunch questions. I think the elite sportsman, and I'm not classing myself as elite as them, but I was in the Premier League, and I noticed one thing: my thought process. The more the more elite I play, the the more thoughts come in in like seconds. I believe the very best. The Lionel Messi's, the Maradona's, the Raquel Mays, the Zidane's Ronaldo's, I believe they think so much quicker in the amount of seconds than the norm. I believe that's why they give themselves more time. You know, we all talk about time equals space equals quality. That ain't only in actions, that's in full process. I think they think so quickly that it gives their actions a lot more time as well. I honestly believe that. And the same as Tiger Woods, I believe in... That moment of him swinging, he can just change it fractionally that can manipulate the golf head onto the golf ball and then execute. You know, I, I believe the best thing so much quicker than the norm. I really do. But um, me, it's a difficult question to answer because when I was at my elite, I come back from the England squad. When I finally got an England squad, right, my full process, I went back to Fulham. No disrespect to Fulham. Well, it is disrespect. It was like going back five years when I was playing at Peterborough. I was playing with the best, the Gerrards, Lampards, Rios, Beckham, Roonies. My two weeks with them, I was the best I ever was. 
the all right, best. All right, all right, on that point, because I, I've been saying, start this conversation off, that I view you as having a, a huge sponge and a mm. massive thirst to, to better yourself or to, to, to challenge yourself or to learn what. If you'd spend, just say, just say, just say breaks had gone your way age 10 and physically you were a different animal and you've been taken into a nursery side that led to a pro side. And let's say you'd been attached to Premier League Fulham or Premier League West Ham from 12, 13, and you'd been it with elite kids pushing yourself all the time from 10, 11, 12, 13. Wouldn't you have ended up, I'm, I'm proposing to you because it's what I think, because I think you're a chameleon. The better company you're in, probably the better you're going to be. Wouldn't you have ended up consistently at a higher level and a better football throughout your career? Another great question. There's two sides I look at this. Yes, because you're a better elite company at an early stage. You're learning quicker at an early stage. I get the process, but there was one thing that gives me hunger, and that was I knew the outside world, and I was a painter and decorator for five years and builder, and that was a scare tactic for me. So I never wanted to go back. I knew. I, so let's go on your let's go on your way. If I was 12, 13 years of age, I never got the scare tactic. I don't know the real world. I don't know how hard it is to earn £60 a day, right? I don't know how hard it is to really live in the real world out there. All I knew was football being that 12-year-old and playing with elite players. But where our I started was in the building game and then to have this magic playing football, wow, that gave me my buzz, that gave me my drive and that gave me the scare tactic to go, I don't want to go back to the real world. I call it the real world and... And football, really, that real world scared the life out of me. I had this football, I had this, like, dream, I'm going to cherish this. That gave me my hunger. So you've got two sides to um, life, I think. I think you've got all the elite training and with the elite players making yourself better as an athlete, but there's one thing that I learned in my career is having a hunger to stay there and to get better. And that's what the real world gives me. I was scared to going back to that. But your parents... I think noticeably your dad wanted that for you, wanted to, to challenge you and push you when you're young because you tell you tell a story about the chip shop and peeling spuds. And and for me, it's the context. Fucking peeling spuds for five hours on a Saturday night. My dad used to drop me off, right? He used to drop me off. And I think that was him. Well, I know that was him sort of showing me the real world, you know. And, and, and to be fair, because it's a Saturday, we used to tee off at 12 o'clock. So I used to... Play, play my games on Saturday, and then he, I used to go to work afterwards and spill chips in, uh, spill chips in the back. And it was out in the back, and we had like a, a chipper. And that, that's all he trusted me with, to be fair, the governor of the chip shop. But that was probably, along with decorating, that was, yeah, I, that was probably one of my first trades, chip, um, a chip peel or whatever you call them, yeah. And, and that was sort of like a scare tactic to, from a dad, I think. I think he put me there and, do you really want to be doing that for the rest of your life, son? You know, and he would put, he would put me in moments where he would he, he knew I would struggle with to, re, to make me realise you've got football here, son. Concentrate on your football because, you know, that would be a lot better, like, you know, give me my drive, really. Can I explain why I asked that thing about if you'd been, if you'd grown up in an elite club atmosphere and been challenged that way? Because you said something uh, once that I loved, and you've said it to me on the phone, but you've written about it too. You you believed mentally 
that if you watched Zidane, and even if you changed your gear a little bit to be like Zidane, it actually benefited you. Now, I love that. One, because every aspiring kid, boy or girl, who doesn't make it, kind of thinks like that anyway. But the power of the mind, I think, probably means that you were right when you when you did your boots, maybe not when you did the shorts too tight, but when you did your boots like Zidane and you thought it was helping, I reckon it probably was. It's it's a confidence sport. Yeah, it's, yeah. That comes again from detail, right? I used to look at Zidane. I used to, I used to um, adore the man so much. As you said, I used to wear my boots like him. And that's Predators, right? The way he used to flap his tongue over. It's a little detail. He didn't used to have the big tongues like Beckham. He used to have them up quite high. He didn't used to like a lot of flapping around. He used to have tight shorts because basically he's a big man. But I used to think, if I could dress like him you know, and I feel like him, then I started taking on the persona of controlling a ball like him. Was it anything like him? Probably not. But I used to feel like I was him, like, and it used to relax me. You know the way you used to carry yeah, yourself? That's it. That's it. And it used to, like, just soak it in and just, like, <laughs> absorb it. And this was me in the Premier League, by the way, Greg. This wasn't me at 17. This was me playing for Wigan. Players didn't really see what I was doing, but I honestly tell you, I used to think, I used to betray him because I used to go, he's the best in the world. Why not? Why can't I not try and be him? Brilliant. Even if I get Absolutely to 10% right. of him, I've done a good job. But there was one moment where the shorts so fucking tight, I couldn't lift my leg up and I missed the open goal. <laughs> Oh, John, look to me and Bob. Give me trial, trial and error, trial and error. You, 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 Stan must have, must have made a mistake to you in this. I'm just so fucking tight. I couldn't lift my left leg up. It come over Gary Till. Scotsman's gone down the right wing, flying down the right wing as he does. I'm galloping on the left back, thinking I'm Zidane. The ball comes over, slick, bounces off the slicky pitch. I pick my left foot up. I was hopeless with my left peg and I just picked it up but my shorts were so tight I couldn't put my groin up as I and it's just bounced over my foot and I've looked no one knew in the moment obviously it looked like I just missed it and I thought to myself these shorts are too bloody tight it's getting ridiculous oh, I, hope had, I hope you had the bollocks to turn to Gary and go Gary here here mate here not there here <laughs> but it wasn't even that high grade it wasn't even like outrageously high. It was just because of the top shorts were too tight. Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? I'm here to tell you about another podcast. Yes, we believe in biodiversity. It's from the makers of The Big Interview, and it's called Between the Lines, the stories behind great sports writing. Every episode takes a classic sports book or outstanding piece of sports writing and examines how the writer crafted their story. This is a weekly show, and the series so far has featured documentaries on the miracle of Castel di Sangro and Andrea Perlo's autobiography, I Think, Therefore I Play. There's also interviews with writers like Henry Winter, Simon Cooper, Andy Mitten, and David Goldblatt. This is Tim Parks on his classic tome, A Season with Verona. The Bishop of Verona invited the citizens of Verona to burn the book because I'd put all the blasphemies in it. So that was obviously good for sales. You know, I, I was very, very pleased about that. I wish they'd done it. It would have been a happy memory. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, all right, foot on the ball, as we like to say, Jimmy, because that's an intro to something that you and I both love. How would, how superb was Sedana 21st century um, um, portrait? Because see, you, you can explain that in that, explain to those who haven't seen the film what yeah. it feels like and why two people in that film caught you. Yeah, yeah. Well, any, any football fan that loves football out there, just football in general. You don't have to be a Zidane fan. The way this and 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 a film fan because of the detail and the, and the sand. The way this is shot is by far, I think, the best football film I've ever seen. I just think it's so class. Twenty first century it's a Zidane film. Basically, they follow Zidane for a whole game through him coming out a tunnel, I believe, to the end. I'm not sure how it ends, but I believe him coming out a tunnel. And there's a few things that I noticed through this film. It, if you ain't watched it out there, just go and watch it. It's beautiful, bro, isn't it? It's absolutely mind-blowing. It's, you've said it because the number of cameras, and it's set up by a Scottish guy with a French-Algerian cameraman, and this Scottish guy has got artistic ideas and he loves football. But I don't think any football game has had as many artistic cameras placed uh, in one what? guy ever, ever, and no. it's Zidane. I'll set it up because I don't know if you remember the year. It's April uh, 2005. It's at the Bernabeu. And it's against that iconic yellow submarine. Yeah, like Villarreal. And that's yeah. why it's a double for you, isn't it? Yeah, it plays against Villarreal. It's, it's a Zidane film. And you see Zidane moving around. And the way the cameras go on to him, I do not know. And I always remember Zidane. The amount Zidane sweated... Was unbelievable. It was like a permanent tap coming off of his chin. It, I used to love that. And he's, this is before he's even started the game. He used to sweat unbelievable amounts. And he was the captain of that team. few things I noticed, and I'm going to get on to the other player in a minute, was he wore the armband. How much he didn't talk, because he didn't need to. His, his actions would be enough. His movement on the ball, Greg, because where it goes so close in is absolutely phenomenal. Real Madrid don't have the best game in that, and nor does Zidane. This is where this other player comes in. It's so hard for me because it's 21st century, it's all about Zidane. But if you go back on YouTube and watch the actual game, Villarreal absolutely run the show with a player called Raquelme, one Roman Raquelme. Now, this boy has the game of his life during this film that's being made about Zidane. And if you watch the amount of Real Madrid, um, Real Madrid players trying to hack Raquel May, uh, he comes out with some ability in his... What isn't shown, it isn't shown in his DVD, but as a football fan, I went on to try and find this game to see how real it was. The game by um, Raquel May, that there... I was a bit of a Raquel May fan anyway, but that there took me on to being a full-blast Raquel May fan, fan. And then I started to train Raquel May. <laughs> and this is where my Raquel May run starts. But I love that player. I, I think that player 
underachieved a bit harsh because he'd done some amazing things, but I think he could have gone on to be one of the best ever. Like, he, he's phenomenal. But that was that sort of DVD. is amazing, really. We, we've got we've got a lot of um, listeners to this podcast who are football addicts like you and me, football lovers like you and me, and, and therefore some of them will know about Roman Riquelme. But not everybody will have seen him, Jim. So if I was to say to you that Zidane and Riquelme occupied the same planet because in their way, they were genius footballers. But to my eye, Riquelme was really different to Zidane in that he's he's built a little bit like you. You'd be a little bit taller yeah. than Riquelme, but he, he's quite a slight man. Yeah. By no means is he fast, but he was he's like got something de- 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 determinedly Argentinian about him. It's like to everybody around, it's like, it's this pace, it's my fucking ball, yeah. you do your little bits running around and I will feed you and I'll feed you and I'll yeah. feed you. Stop now, stop now, turn, rewind, stop, pause for a second, drag them around, boom, there you go again. If there's a free kick, which in your case we're going to come on to in a little while. Whereas Zidane, like you said, I think a lot of people forget he was a fucking beast. Yeah. As well as being beautiful and across short bits of ground. He was much quicker than Riquelme and he could move as if the ball weren't, wasn't there. But he could impose himself physically. And if you watch, it's like with Ronaldinho. If you challenged up near him, you'd bounce off him, which is not the case with Riquelme. So they had to approach space and marking and, and time of release of the ball completely differently, the two of them. But they equally fascinated you. Your detail there, Gray, is exactly how I see it, right? Is it, is it everything you said there is absolutely bang on, right? You know your shit, obviously. But there were glint because I was built like Raquel. I, I started to understand this. I can, I could control the ball like Zidane, but guess what? There's another player trying to get it off of me. That's a different matter. Zidane, as you say, is a beast. Six foot two, six whatever he is, at legs like tree trunks. He could put a leg there and stop him. I couldn't do that. Raquel May can't do that. What I found. You use Raquel May very closely. He uses his backside. He uses his whole body. He backs into players. I've never seen a centre midfielder do it. He sort of arch, he's got his little arch back, he's got shoulders, and he sort of uses his whole body and his arms. It, great. The amount of time he uses his forearm and hurts people is phenomenal. When I see his stature, I thought there's nothing of this man. This, like, how is he ragdolling people? He's using his whole body. Zidane use a limb. It's enough for Zidane to put a leg there and go, stop, and I'll stop that. If I'd done that, I'd near enough put, I'd be injured ever. I couldn't play like that. Raquel May, I could play like. He'd get his own body there. He is one of the best. I think I said this year the other day, Bray. Two different players, really, and they see it different. They had to play different. And I believe it come down to stature. As you say, no pace for Raquel May. But I'm telling you what he had, Bray. His manipulation of the football in tight areas was better than Zidane's. Entire areas like, and this hour I broke it down. So Dan gliding with a football, wow! Like I see him tear off, and I think he got. So Dan, you don't see him as a pacey sort of player, but Zidane had pace. What you say when he got galloping, mate? He was a charger. He, no one stopping him. Raquel May wasn't that. He was like slow, slow, quick, 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 slow. He would sort of slow the whole game down, as you said the other day to me, right? Dictate at Raquel May's pace. If Raquel May was in a team that wasn't at Raquel May's pace. Don't play it. The way he controls the football and the way he absorbs it and his vision is just phenomenal to watch. It's just like an absolute eye-opener. 
there's a way to prove what you've said there because the first person I ever heard of who'd made it at the top level, Premier League level, but who wasn't as good a footballer as you, but felt like you do, was Paul Telfer. And I knew the guy who represented Paul. I didn't meet Paul, but the guy who looked after him would say, Paul doesn't really, now this is not you, Paul doesn't really even like football much. He doesn't watch it. He wished he'd been a professional golfer, but he could play football. He could earn a brilliant living, be an international, probably made that cup final under Gordon Second, blah, blah, blah. Subsequently, I've got much friendlier with a guy I used to watch, Steve Archibald, who's Aberdeen, Spurs, Barcelona, yeah. and, and, and Steve lives over here now, and we've got really close friends. I work with him on the TV, and he'll come in, and he's like, I didn't watch the football on the weekend. I, I don't like to watch football. But if you ask him about, you show him a clip and say, what should the striker have done? What should the keeper have done? How was the cross? How was that release pattern? His, his analysis, and when you're co-commentating at a live game, and he says, this will happen, that should happen, that change is important now. It's it's breathtaking, but he doesn't watch football. Now, the people you've just been talking about and the era of Spanish football we've just been talking about, that was enough to get you starting watching more football than you used to, because habitually, you, you're not a great guy for watching tons and tons of football, are you? I'll tell you what, it all happened with Sunday. Do you remember, it, it happened around the time with Galactico, when they all come together, all them big players, like we've touched them, Zidane, Beckham, Roberto, Carlos, all them players. Don't get me wrong, I watched football, I watched UK football, I watched bits of Premier League, but it was, it didn't give me my buzz, it didn't give me what I was hoping out of the game. you got to remember, I was playing in it as well, so it was a bit of a weird time. It was like, I would watch it more to the point if I was coming up against the likes of Steven Gerrard at the weekend. I'd watch it for that. It wasn't for my being a fan. It wasn't for my love of football in general. I'd watch the UK football. It's weird because I didn't get a buzz out of that. I used to get the buzz out, out of watching Liga so much more. And it's hard to put my finger on why, but I think it is the styles. I think it is... I didn't see a lot back then... I never played in a team, played possession-based football. And back then, Premier League wasn't very possession-based. No. You know, Spanish football was so possession-based. And that's what sort of, I, that, that was my appeal. I, you know, I, I spoke to you before, Gray, the amount of arguments I had with managers because I wanted to play possession-based football and we just wasn't really built that way. We didn't really know the possession-based game over us. But, but let me let me for the benefit of the, of those listening, Jimmy, and and slap me down if I'm wrong. Nobody should interpret that you saw league of football and then said to managers, "Well, we've got to be possession based." As I understand it from previous chats, you'd always seen it that way, and seeing La Liga was just a, a reaffirmation of what you'd always believed. Is that true? Spot on, exactly right. As a kid, I, that 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 didn't just start in a Premier League argument. As a kid, I always wanted to. I, I couldn't. I couldn't figure out why is the keeper not making an angle for the centre half? Why is the angle not? Why is the centre half just clipping it down the line? Why are we taught? Because I was taught playing their final third. We don't want to play in the two thirds. We don't want to play in our defensive third or the middle third. Get it up to there. Get it in a danger and then play from there. Then all of a sudden I'm thinking, no. What about these two thirds? That's totally killed me. If you want, that's totally like 
got rid of all my space, all my what I believe in. So my pet hates were goalkeepers centre half because they were my back line. They were the boys that I wanted them to make angles and let me receive the ball off of them. It was very much clip it forward, then we go and play an air after him all the way up until I was 27, 28, until managers started to believe in me. But to answer your question, I see that more and more when I started to watch La Liga football, a little bit of Bundesliga, to be honest, a little bit, but not so much as Spanish football, like when Barca was playing and Madrid's and, and, other, and just the league in general was so much more, like you'd go and watch Villarreal v Bilbao, and it was so much, everyone wanted the ball, right? Everyone wanted the ball from centre-ass to goal kit, and people go to me, well, it ain't just that. I tell you what, it's a big patch of it. If you want the ball more, I'm a big fan of John Stones on here um, in England. Like he's hunger for the ball, he's waving his hands in the air. Give me the ball, like that for me is huge. If you want to play possession-based football, I had centre half grade behind me that couldn't wait to squeeze up the pitch. Pep Guardiola's fault is totally different. Make the pitch bigger. Allow Jimmy to come and get the ball. Allow the Javis of the world to come and get the ball. You know. I put myself in Javi's bracket there because I, I believe he, he, he does <laughs> like, that. When I speak to him, when, when I speak to him, he does that too. So let's not fuck about here. Chavi <laughs> just sometimes he, he just says JV. He doesn't say JV. <laughs> right? He just goes, and, and he's really in the middle of a point like this, and you go, and you know, JV used to, and I'm like, I know what you mean, mate. <laughs> Great, I'd love it if you could get him on voice recorder doing that. Oh, no, no problem, no problem. From a kid, I always see it that way. I always see it the pet way, if you want. But what pet has brought to UK football, I'm telling us now, UK fans, we do not realise. How much we high regard him times it by 100. Times it by 100, because what he's done to the game not just Pep, Klopp as well, but Pep was the one that really educated the Man City fans and the UK fans because I believe we've got to educate the fans before anyone else because the amount of times that I was playing football and I would play the right winger and our fans would clap because he's running 100 mile an hour up the line, that ain't, that ain't football great. It ain't the rugby mentality, mate. You've got to go, with, you've got to go forward with quality. You can't just run forward at pace like a lunatic. So there's got to be a purpose, right? So there's got to be an intelligent purpose. So the first thing, this is, I mean, these are bandied about phases. You might know it. But Cruyff's second in command when he took over as a coach at the camp now was a winger called Charlie Rexach. And Charlie and he had played together in that team when he moved to, to, to Spain and, and Franco, the dictator, was still in charge. And, you know, he, he won one league and he, he was regarded as like Rudolf Nureyev of the football pitch because it was beautiful to watch him. Like, like maybe you felt about George Best when you could, George Bestie was a beautiful man. His movement was beautiful. What was Cruyff? What was, Cruyff was. Let me ask you a question, Greg. What was Cruyffy like when he when he first came over and he he, he, he implemented that possession-based game? What was that like? What? There's, there's two ways to answer that because as a player, he was no more than a brilliant leader player who said, like, on the pitch, we'll do this. But when he was finished, he went home. So he revolutionised the idea of what Barcelona and the camp now could believe in because they were in times of a dictatorship. And, for example, you know, he wasn't allowed by the local registrar to call his son Jordi, because Jordi was a Catalan name, and General Franco, the dictator who was still alive in them days, went, no, fuck you, no Catalan name. But as he comes back in 889, what he did was... Um, he went, I'm only taking over, never mind the money or the bigger club, it'll be my way. 
And his first thing he did was he went and bought Basque players from the North region who were tough, who ran Bagiristan, for example. There were more, but he went, in the short term, before I change, and in t- including the fans, and that was the point I was about to make about Red Sox, he changed the mind of the president. He changed the mind of the players. He gradually bought players, not immediately. He went, I've got to win to stay in a job. So at that stage, he'd had a, two, three years of coaching at Ajax. And he wasn't the man that we think of now. Just like Pep said when he took over at Barcelona, if I lose, and when I'm Pep Guardiola, they'll fucking sack me. Cruyff knew that too in 88-89. And because he bought these Basque players, Salinas and Bagiristain and eventually Zubizarreta and goals, they were tough, they were competitive. If you remember, they won the Cup. They won the Cup Winners' Cup against Sampdoria two years before they beat Sampdoria. That Luca Vialli. Thank God he's he's better from his cancer. I spoke to yeah. him the other day. He's, Mancini, who our last guest, Sven Goran Eriksson, was talking about Mancini. In a way, I'll send you that little clip about Eriksson talking about Mancini. Okay. Your jaw will drop. Unbelievable. So, what, what Christ did then was, it, while he was winning and making sure his post was secure, he was re-educating everybody. And the point you... So you've brought me back to the point I was making with Rex Hatch, who'd been his winger, said, in the old days, when Cruyff and I took over at the camp now, they wanted what you're talking about English football when we were growing up wanted, which is get it up there, long love. And if you're up there, get it in the, in the, in the box, get them, irrespective of whether there's anybody there. And Rex said, when we built up the wing and we didn't cross, because Chris said, if there's nobody there, start yeah. again. Get they were like, get it in the middle of the camp now. Mm-hmm. There's now this temple of worship from Guardiola. Was it fuck then? Was it fuck? It was like, yeah. fuck in, in Catalan, which I haven't got, fucking lump it in the middle. And, and, yeah. and, Rex, and they got booed. You, well, I, I was gonna, I was gonna say that. Was there a point when he took over where the crowd sort of turned? This is what I'm saying about the first thing is the crowd because the players will feel that pressure. Trust me, bro. I was one that didn't feel pressure, and at times getting the ball off of your own. There must have been a time where a centre, a number four, the centre has been told to split, and the fans must have been up in roar and give the ball away because it ain't going to happen all the time. You're going to get the ball. There must have been times where there's up in the roar. It's like, there was, yeah. there was times when um, the, neither the fans nor the media nor the president or the vice president understood it. Without going mad about this, Iniesta once um, at, against Paris Saint-Germain at Camp Nou in a Champions League game, he received the ball in the four position. And what he did was he sort of received it, walked onto it with his back to the oncoming player, right up his back, took a half step this way and swiveled and got yeah. away from his man, pushed it in front of him and nicked it off the toe of the next man coming. And the move went from Valdez to Iniesta and Iniesta ran to courts of the pitch, set up somebody and it was a goal. And it was, it was beauty. It was like, it was like, it was like Fred Astaire. Honestly, yeah. it was like Gene Kelly. Yeah. And I said to him several days later, than I said, listen, that, that movement, that goal, if you'd given it away, when you tried that spin and that trick, 10 yards outside your own penalty box, you've lost a goal. That's a definite goal. I said, how do you process the risk? And he said, that game is all about accepting and managing risk. And is that something, did you have a feeling of accepting and managing risk? You know, we talk about men with balls going into crunching tackles. Have you got the ball? No, that's balls. That, that, that there is the real McCoy, receiving it on your own 18 box, even in your box. To have that with 70,000 on you, on your back, if you give that away, what you go back there, if you give that away there, there's a goal. The next time you do that, is your player going to trust you? Is your manager going to trust you? That there, what the boy's done, has took serious balls. To answer your question, yeah, I have. 
I have. I'll put myself in that position. I'll put myself in a more bulgy position. I will own this. The reason why I'll own it, we was bottom of the league, Graham. Yeah. I was playing for Fulham, bottom of the league. And players weren't doing that because of they were scared. They, but I was watching, because I was injured, I was watching from above and I was thinking, you need to fall there. You need to go and get that ball because clumping out there, we're not winning. We're not, we're not doing nothing. I always had that though, Gray. I had that in me so much. Was there times on the pitch, if I was being honest, did I shy away from it? There was times when I was a little bit lower on confidence where I'd sort of go, mm, don't know, it's a bit tight. But I think that was my own brain sort of going, it's too tight. It's too tight for me to receive it. Someone else has got to be on. You can't be a one-man band. No, that's judgment. That's judgment. That's match management. Exactly right. So that doesn't come to bottle, I don't think. If you used to ask me the question, have you got, great, I'd play in my own six-yard box, mate. But then I'd have managers saying, Jim, Paul Jaws, Jim, but six of us can't. You can, that's your game. But six of us can't. So you have the argument now. Well, Pep's okay with Man City. He's got all the money in the world blah, 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 to buy that. But has little Wigan got enough money and now and know-how to go and buy like fifteen ball players? You know, it's very tough to bring that to the game of the UK. And it's very—they're not going to just listen to Jimmy Bullard, are they? Because Jimmy wants to play like that. But then my argument was, well, you brought me here, Paul. I want to play like that. And that was my argument. You know, I believe well, the goalkeeper is. He's getting paid a good wage. He's a professional football player. Why ain't he making an angle gaffer? I'd ask him so many questions. And in the end, I sort of had to wind my neck in grey because I think I'm sort of doing myself out of of a job sort of thing. Do you get what I mean? It would become a point where the manager would have to be going, Jimmy's too much. You're scrutinising too much. Get in line. You're a player. You ain't the manager. And I'd be like, yeah, you're right. Like, I'd sort of have to wind my neck in a bit where I'd be putting too much pressure on the manager, you know. Um, I found myself doing that, especially towards the end of my career, when I started to become a bit more ballsy. I started to become a bit more of a man. I started to believing in myself that bit more and started putting more pressures on players around me. No, get it, do it, you know, and that, that's how it started. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. 